Hello and welcome to the Sky Time Podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that aims to share information and experiences within the Sky community during the COVID-19 crisis. Eventually, Sky Time will be a vehicle to promote the island to the world as we celebrate the people, places and providers that make Sky such a great place to live, work and visit. At the moment, Sky is very much still in the midst of the crisis, and it will be some weeks before we can even think about inviting visitors to cross the bridge. There will have to be a lot of planning to make the island and our attractions, hotels, bars, restaurants and shops safe for staff, residents and visitors alike. A lot of that work will be carried out by Highland Council, and my first guests this week are councillors John Finlayson and Callum Monroe. Welcome to the Skytime podcast. Hi, afternoon. John, how have you managed to carry out your roles as councillors during lockdown? Yeah, so as well as being a, a, a local councillor, I'm also the chair of the Education Committee. Uh, so previously, I used to be in Inverness at least three times a week. So obviously that has changed in recent times, so I'm getting involved in a lot of Skype meetings, Teams meetings, phone conferences. So I think the good thing is I'm not having to travel, uh, but I do have quite a number of meetings between the education meetings, strategic meetings of senior councillors. I'm doing less travelling, but I still believe that it's important, you know, to see the whites of people's eyes. Uh, so I'm missing that to a degree. It also means I'm not able to contact officers uh, so easily or lobby for issues. But the time-saving in, in terms of travelling has been helpful, but certainly no less busy, and if anything, possibly more busy. And is that a similar experience for you, Callum? Uh, very much so. It's actually, it's been my only experience, Simon, because I became a councillor just in the middle of March, and um, that was just when COVID-19 was really starting to have an effect on our nation. So um, my, my normal has been remote working, working on the phone, emails, and becoming very, very used to Zoom and to video conferencing too. And I guess as a new councillor, you really did want to get out and about and meet people in the community. Exactly. And that was what I enjoyed about the by-election campaign. It was going around and meeting people. And I think part of the job of a councillor is um, you know, advocating for their own ward and getting to know other councillors, Highland Council officers, and I was looking forward to, uh, to forming relationships with these um, with these people and and, and and meeting people all across Sky and Rasi. But um, that that will come in due course. But now we'll just have to um, adjust uh, and work within the the, the parameters of where we are. John, you mentioned the difficulty of getting in touch with officers, uh, the officials from the the council. So is it taking an, an awful lot more time to get things done? I mean, I think what's really important to remember is that. A huge number of officers in the council have had to change role. And I think I'd like to compliment the officers of the council who have done that. So an awful lot of people are not doing the role that they would traditionally do, because obviously the focus has been a COVID-19, supporting business grants, huge number of business grants. So the workforce has had to be more flexible. But I would still say that officers on the whole have been very responsive. But we as members have had to realise that they have got many other different tasks that they're all getting involved in at this time. And Callum, has the council been able to assist the many, many people who are are suffering hardship as a result of lockdown? I think it has to a great extent. I mean, the council has really changed its its structure 
I mean, it's become a, an organiz organization which is really focused on resilience for the Highlands. So, so in that respect, it has changed and its focus has been on creating resilience. So, yeah, I think it has. It's, it's done a lot between supporting communities and supporting the most vulnerable in our communities. And, well, of course, the big thing, uh, concern is the financial concerns of individuals and of, and of our businesses. So uh, by administering grants from the Scottish Government, the, the Highland Council has been right, right there in the front line trying to, to assist people. And John, what would be the economic picture on Sky, do you think, if there hadn't been this array of grant and support schemes available to businesses? Yeah, I mean, I think, as Colin said, the, the council is administering a lot of the business grants and the different other different kinds of grants. And I think it's important to reiterate that we've also setting up community hubs. We've got community hubs for key workers. We've also got the local community hubs that support the most vulnerable on the shielding list who haven't got relatives or, or neighbours to help them out. So in terms of, a, of general support across the island, the, the council is right at the centre of what's going on. In terms of supporting businesses, I mean, I think it's very clear that day to everyone that Sky has been dependent on tourism hugely in the last couple of years. And we also know that some other businesses, some other areas of employment have suffered because an awful lot of people have moved out of these types of employment into the tourist industry, bed and breakfast and self-catering. So the profile of the, of the Sky economy is very much focused on tourism. So this last two or three months have been really, really difficult. And I think without the support of the Scottish Government, without the support of the funding that's become available, mostly administered by the Highland Council and by and some by High, a lot of businesses would really have struggled to survive. I suppose some may not survive, but I think the rate of, of survival will, will certainly be more positive because of the financial support that has been available. Callum, do you think there's a recognition among public bodies that the Sky economy is going to need support not just now, not just the next few months, but probably until something like this time next year? Well, there certainly is. I think nationally we're looking at the picture of months and years of recovery. Now, the Highland Council has established a recovery board, and that's very much where we're looking. We're looking ahead and to see where where we can maybe put emphasis on, on, on our, our strengths, what we've learned from the last few months, uh, how flexible we've been in our responses. But I think um, for sure there's um, recognition that the next few months are going to be really challenging and that we'll have to really keep an eye on how we support businesses. John, how impressed have you been by the way that the community has uh, reacted, not just in terms of the obedience to the lockdown rules, if you like, but how the community has come together to start supporting itself? Massively impressed. I mean, I think we've got to recognise the responsibility that individuals and communities have taken on in terms of coping uh, with COVID-19. And I think there's been a sense of ownership, not just across the island, but a sense of ownership in individual communities and even at individual level. And I think it's fair to say that in a crisis, you see the best in folk. Some people say that you see the worst in folk, but certainly across Sky, I would say that we're seeing the best in individuals and in communities. And I just refer to the, to the Land's End to John of Broach run that happened over the weekend to raise funds for Sky Community Response. That took a wee bit of pressure of everyone, but it also showed how committed our community is to supporting the most vulnerable and everyone in our community. So hugely impressed 
And I think what's really important is how can we harness the spirit after the pandemic? And I've had quite a lot of contact from individuals who have been asking that question. How do we keep this strong community spirit that's always been there, but which has really come to the fore over the last two months? How do we keep that going? And Callum, we, we can't do this interview without referring to the home farm care home. The community has done its utmost to try and stay safe. But do you think that this whole outbreak has been handled well enough? Well, I think it's been a real difficult two or three weeks for, for Sky. It seemed to be that the COVID-19 hadn't really reached us. And then suddenly this hotspot appeared in our midst and it appeared in the place where perhaps the most vulnerable people in our, in our community are. So it really was a, a shock. It's a difficult time. I think that the response when it appeared from our colleagues in, in NHS Highland, they, step, they stepped in and they supported home farms, supported the residents and staff. So I think the response since that time has, has been one uh, which has given families of residents and the community reassurance Still very, very difficult and worrying, but um, we feel that the, the, the support is in place now. But John, do you think there was enough public information shared early enough? Well, I mean, I would say that as locals members, we have been actively trying to ensure that more Timia information has been shared with the community, that the people who need to know information have been getting that information. And I would say that probably at the beginning, that wasn't happening. Hopefully, it's, it has improved. We've been assured that things have improved, but it's still our responsibility to make sure that we represent the residents, the families, and the community. And if they're not getting the information they need, then we need to make sure that they do get it. Of course, within all, all of this, we've got to remember the confidentiality of residents and families. So there's a balance to be struck. And I think public agencies and the community need to realise that there's a compromise somewhere and people need to try to buy into that compromise. We're obviously still in the middle of the, the crisis in, in Sky, but we're starting to see the easing of lockdown across the rest of the country. What challenges does the easing of lockdown present for you as councillors? What I would say is that the, the easing of restrictions, I think we've got to do it in a sensible manner. I mean, we, we, we keep being told that the Highlands are two weeks behind the rest of the country in terms of the curve. So we need to make sure that as we move into release of lockdown, we do it in a phased manner. We do it in a manner that is supported by the community. And I know there were announcements yesterday from, from certain tourist bodies and, and tourist businesses calling for, for an increase in the speed of release. But at the same time, I attended a community council meeting last night by Zoom, and there were members of, of the committee who are in the tourist industry who are expressing concern about rushing into things too quickly. We need to realise that the business world, the economy of, of the sky is really, really important. But for me, there's nothing more important than the health and well-being of the residents. John's right. There is a great deal of anxiety in our communities and uh, moving too fast. And we've got to be careful how we message this. It's got to be very clear. It's got to be done across nationally and I think I think the council so far, Highland Council has been giving the message clearly, the message from Scottish Government and I think it is important that we do this in a way which just which reassures people 
social distancing is here to stay for a long time. I think we have to be clear uh, and think thinking about the for tourism, for example, how we how we introduce that into 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 our tourism industry and how how visitors can be reassured and how people how the hosts can be assured that um, you know we're, we're safe. Let's look at a couple of practical examples. How is Highland Council going to run its car parks and its public toilets? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, obviously, car parking and toilets were an issue before <laughs> the pandemic came. I, mean, I suppose we haven't had to deal with with a large number of tourists coming and the issues round about parking charges and people not being able to park in Sky. But that that obviously becomes part of the bigger picture. Because one of the issues that the council has got, like all authorities across Scotland, is that the financial pressure it will be under after the pandemic. So, I mean, I mean Highland Council have indicated to COSRA that we're looking at a, a budget pressure of nearly 90 million. So, clearly, uh, car parking and toilets, they're all part of that bigger picture. Uh, and I suppose they have to be looked at uh, as part of a whole. Now, in terms of how the council will, will look at developing issues right about car parking and toilets, they will be a priority, but I think we've got a huge number of other priorities to get to before then. But if the tourist embassy takes off, clearly we will need to we'll need to look at these issues uh, in line with, with the numbers of people coming to the highlands. Callum, a lot of tourism businesses, you're, you're in the, the tourism industry, are looking for guidance on how they can safely operate once things are, are eased. Will the trading standards people be playing a prominent part in getting that guidance out to people? Yes, they certainly will. There will obviously be conversations nationally about this, but Highland Council's trading standards will play a big part in giving hotels and guest house and self-catering owners just the advice and the guidance they need to trade safely and to trade with confidence. Finally, John, how do we ensure that fears about the virus do not turn into a, an unwelcoming attitude towards visitors when they are allowed to come? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think as in every every walk of life and in every day life, eh, there will be people who will take a different approach to how they do things. There will be people who will take a different approach to risk. There will be a, a people who will take a different approach to how 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 they they look to travel and, and move around. So I think what we've got to make sure is that we realise that and we cater for individuals. And as we look at the tourist industry and we look at the, the economy of Sky, I think every individual uh, who is, impl- is involved in, the, in, in tourism needs to consider how would they react if they went on a, on a holiday somewhere? How would they react if they went with children? How would they react if they went with, with the elderly? So everyone needs, I think, to, to reflect on, on the traumatic times that we've gone through and not forget almost overnight when, when, when lockdown comes that life is back to normal. What was normal will not be normal in the future. And I think it's really important that we as a council and everyone as an individual accepts both individual responsibility and also community and corporate responsibility. And Callum, are you already planning for the new normal both as a, a councillor and a tourism provider? Looking ahead, it's hard to see how, how this is going to pan out. There is certainly, as John says, a tension there between the, the welcome we're, we're used to giving and, and excitement anxieties about visitors amongst us. We'll probably review things month on month. We look forward to a day when we can welcome people back, but we want to do so where we're comfortable that 
as a as a family and as a community that um, you know we're ready for it, and that's that's just how we'll go forward, to Simon. Councillor Callum Munro, Councillor John Finlayson, thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. In Sky, we are lucky to live and work in the most beautiful place on Earth. As we rise to the new challenges our island faces, our tourism industry has the chance to reset and resolve issues. We have the chance to rebuild, but we need your support and we need your voice. Join Sky Connect and help us reopen with a new sustainable tourism industry. Thank you. My next guest is a director of Sky Connect and owner of the Sonus Collection of Hotels, Anne Gracie Gunn. Anne was born and brought up on a croft in Skinnerdin near Dunvegan. Her career has been a roller coaster of business success during some tough trading conditions. She's also had to contend with some deeply personal tragedies. And it would be fair to say you're a bit of a survivor. Yes, I think I would like to say yes, I am. I think when I set out in life, I'm only glad I didn't know what lay ahead of me. But there's been some wonderful times and some very successful times, although some have been tinged with sadness, I must admit. As you go through life, it just makes you into the person that you become if you have to deal with challenges. It's never always guaranteed to be rosy, that's for sure. You're one of the most respected members of the hospitality industry in the Highlands. In fact, you were named Highland Tourism Ambassador at the Highlands and Islands Tourism Awards last year. But hospitality didn't feature in your early career. No, it didn't, actually. When I grew up in Sky, I decided that I would definitely need to go away to the mainland. And I trained to be a medical secretary and practice manager in Aberdeen for a couple of years. And that's how I started off my career. But the calling of Sky wasn't uh, too far away and you returned to set up a and b and self-catering cottage on the Croft. How did you find your first foray into the hospitality sector? Well, it was probably a little bit by accident, really. I was thinking to myself I would need to do something to be able to work from home and it seemed to be the obvious answer in a rural occasion. But I always remember when I first of all inquired to the tourist board in Portree if I could become a member. And I was met with, oh no, we could never possibly get anybody going out as far as Skinnerdon. Everybody coming to Sky just wants to go to Portree. We could never push them out far, that far. Sorry. So <laughs> I had to go and start, um, well, with a sign at the roadside and. Uh, that sort of thing. But uh, with the grading scheme, in came a whole different way of working. This is Scotland Quality Assurance. That would put the stamp of quality on a business, no matter where it was. There's two things there. One, you're a bit of a pioneer, but you were obviously not one for taking no for an answer. You were determined to make a success of it, prove people wrong. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, I was very fortunate to be just along the road from uh, the iconic Three Chimneys. So they did not have any accommodation at that stage. So I was in a lucky position from that point of view. But the B&B was just like 
in any other B&B, very, very busy between April and October. And the seasonality factor, of course, then kicked in hugely. Yeah, I've seen the days where we didn't have so many visitors coming to the island. And indeed, we didn't have the bridge, which was another thing. What made you so convinced that tourism would be a success on Sky? Well, I, I was sure the product was there. I mean, the Sky is such a beautiful island. And everybody really knows about Sky. So I knew, really, I couldn't go wrong. I just had confidence in what I was doing, that it was exactly the right route for me to be able to enable me to stay home and rear my family, actually. And you got involved with business bodies like Sky and Lachalsh Enterprise. How much enthusiasm was there for growing the sector at that time? That was a very, very good time. It was a very good time for the island as well because all decision-making there was done locally. Yes, I went on to the board of Skylar House Enterprise and I was on that board for eight years. I learned a lot as well, you know, about business and how things operated. And I was also on the leader funding board for Sky and the Outer Hebrides as well. So I had a good knowledge of how to put together maybe business plans and how to actually get business going. Your business was developing, your experience was growing, but then tragedy struck. You, you lost your, your son. How, how did that change you and your whole attitude to, to work, etc.? Well, um, it was a very, very tragic time for us, for us all as a family. And I then decided that I had had the greatest challenge of all. I had to face that. I had to face it head on. So I decided that nothing could ever be so difficult again. And I looked at my career in life and decided to change what I did and actually go and investigate other avenues of work, for example. And at that stage, I left Sky for a few years and I was grading holiday accommodation throughout the UK to AA standards. A job I enjoyed very, very much. It was hard. There was 1,200 miles a week on, on average of travel. So it wasn't easy by any means. But I felt that for my own sanity, I had to do something just totally different. You did eventually through this life change find happiness again when you met your husband Ken Gunn who was the the captain of the Hebridean princess that started a whole new life journey what what was your plan at that time when you met Ken the life journey yes it just changed my life totally our dream collectively was that we would run a hotel one day and little did we think that you know the hotel business would really become so much part of our lives. I don't think that was quite the intention when we started out, but um, it certainly became that way. And Torvig, we set it up as being really a small ship ashore. And that is where we started, really. I um, began cooking myself. I had to, in one serious occasion, jump into the kitchen. Little did I know I would spend three years uh, being a chef together with being a receptionist and everything else that tends to go with small hotels but that was a very happy time. The central part of the business was not the hotel at that point was it? It was the the yacht you were hosting weddings uh, on the yacht so you were combining both your work and your hobby that must have been a very happy time. 
Yes, we started our uh, commercial sailing activity in uh, 2005 and we continued that on for 11 years. It was it was wonderful. We were sailing throughout the Sound of Slate to the Small Isles, etc. And every few years we would upgrade to another new yacht or a bigger yacht and more weddings and trips to St Kilda and that sort of thing with guests. It was a very, very enjoyable time. I did a crash course after meeting Ken. He was a yacht master ocean and I had done my day skippers, but I did a crash course on RYE qualifications and, and I'm now a coastal skipper. So along the way, I, I had to learn, <laughs> I had to learn many things. And why did you invest in a second hotel? What was the driving force behind that? Well, we found that with a, the nine bedroom hotel at Torvig, it was quite difficult to have any other quality of life. It was always, we were very, very busy. So there was what came in then when we bought Dewsdale was economies of scale. So we could move our staff around from one to the other. We could, it just opened up the business totally. Um, I don't think it was quite my idea to buy Dewsdale right enough, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it seemed to work very well because they're only 2.9 miles apart. So that was good. Your timing wasn't great, though, was it? You then had to endure the financial crash of 2008, the ash cloud of 2010, and 9-11. What was the trading environment like during that period? Oh, yes. Oh, they they were tough times. They were really, really difficult times because we'd just undertaken the renovation of Dewisdale, and that was an extensive renovation. And the financial crash, just like the COVID, it just came on us. One day was not a lot of notice, and that was tough, tough trading times. Uh, we got through that, but um, I promised myself I'd n- never, <laughs> never go so near the edge again. But you then bought Skabest House Hotel and another yacht, so y- you you were not deterred from investing. No, it was always our uh, plan, and I think this comes from, you know, as we touched on before the tragedy in my life you know when you come up about against something that you've nearly lost it all you, you you're more able then I think to to take chances and to and another thing that happened to me also is that I put my all into everything it's just my full focus whatever I do gets my full attention so yes we bought Skibus then in uh, 2015 but that was just coming hot on the heels of buying the new 50-foot yacht that enabled us to do the St Kilda trips. So we had an amazing staff, absolutely a first-class staff, and we still have. And I was able then to, and Ken, to enjoy our hobby on the sea at the same time as developing the business. And, of course, my family also came into the business uh, with us, and uh, they are the most wonderful support. It wasn't long after buying Skebus that Ken was taken ill. How did you cope with running such an expanded business while looking after Ken in his last months? I relied totally on my family and my loyal staff, and I cannot praise them all highly enough because that was just the most awful time. From being able to run your business successfully and running a happy life, to all of a sudden just noticing somebody whilst cutting the grass had a little squint in his mouth looking like maybe Bell's palsy to the next day being told that he had an incurable brain tumour 
was not a long time to live. So that was very, very hard. We relied totally on the staff, I must admit. They were incredible. And how much of a help has it been to have your daughter Jen by your side running a large chunk of the business? Yeah, Jen is uh, very, very good and very committed. And she's a clinical psychologist, which helps. It helps with staff and it helps in many ways. And it also helps her dealing with her mother. (laughs) (laughs) This year was set to be a, a good year for you. You just completed the renovations of Skebust and uh, you'd established a, a spa in, in the hotel. And then coronavirus hit. When did you start to realise that the, the season was going to be seriously affected? Just after Christmas, I start, started to get this vibe that things were just not right. It, we were either coming into a very steep recession or there was just... There was just this resistance in the volume of bookings. And then, of course, in came the cancellations and everything. But in the meantime, we've had made ourselves all ready for Brexit. We had Brexit-proofed ourselves, new staff accommodation, anything that we could do to attract staff. We joined the real living wage and all of these things. So we got ourselves really ready for facing Brexit. All we could think about was, oh, my gosh, you know, we might not get enough staff or we might not, we have to have the best of this and the best of everything for the staff and and that. But all of a sudden, this came at us like a thunderbolt. I think the last seven days were were the worst because we didn't know what on earth was going to happen. We saw these cancellations coming through and absolutely, you know, snow falling down off a dike, really. It was very, very worrying until we weren't surprised when we heard the word that, you know, there was going to be lockdown. It was actually the only way to go at that stage. It was frightening. Just give us a sense, Anne, of the volumes of money that were disappearing out of the business due to cancellations and also the fact that you're paying staff with no income. Yes, uh, that was the worry. We didn't know where all this was going to stop. And obviously we had our staff, uh, a board, a uh, permanent staff, and also the staff which we had recently recruited and all the ongoing expenses that you normally have. And it was quite worrying. We didn't know really where to turn next. But we've been very, very lucky that we've got a very good ally in the RBS who seems to always approve of what we do. And indeed, we had a cracking business going until March the 23rd, I must admit. At the moment, somebody did say to me, are you not really, really worried? And I said, and do you sleep at night? And I said, well, I sleep at night. And one thing is sure is, to date anyway, I haven't worried about the financial situation too badly. I'd be more unhappy, though, if I could manage to secure a grant because two of our hotels are above rateable value 51 ceiling, which deems us ineligible. However, we applied for the new Pivotal grant and maybe we'll know in another week or two whether we'll be successful. But I just don't bank on anything at the moment. Every day changes, every hour and every day changes. I watch the television, I watch the news, I watch everything in between, wall to wall. And honestly, it's just changing all the time. How much of an issue is it, not just to you as the owner of three hotels, but to hotels across the the Highlands and Islands, this cut-off point of £51,000 rateable value that prevents you getting business grant support at the moment? 
Yes, it's pretty significant, actually, because, I mean, we haven't got that. Our hotels are not that big, Dewsdale and Skavest, but they're just over the RV51. One's actually RV52.5, and the other one's RV70. So uh, we're just out with that threshold, but we're just typical of a hotel that you would find in Argyll or Inverness Shire or Orkney, Shetland, anywhere. It's just it's just the size of hotels in Scotland, Scottish hotels. So that has been quite a problem. We're no different from anybody else. The government doesn't seem keen at the moment to, to change that threshold. Do you fear that some of your colleagues in the industry will not be able to survive like you will? Uh, yes, I do. I feel it's a huge, big burden for any uh, business to face this because... You know, unless you've got a good strong bank behind you at the moment and you're above RV51, there's not a lot of places left to go, to be honest. One of the other issues that has come up through this crisis is the relationship between accommodation providers and the online travel agents. You've been pretty vocal on this. Do you think the whole relationship going forward is going to have to change? Yes, I think it has to change. And I think it has to change significantly. I would like our own see our own business do, doing far more direct business with a, just off our own kind of website and our own offering rather than go through the booking.com, et cetera, of this world. Online travel agents, they've just, you know, become more and more visible year on year. And before you know it, they are taking up a large chunk of your rooms on a nightly basis. We've got 47 rooms a night to fill, and I know there's quite a number of rooms out on Sky, but still and all, I, I, I'm going to put my all into making sure that we are absolutely post-COVID ready to come out to this, dealing directly with the public ourselves. And what is it about the terms and conditions that the OTAs operate under that causes so many problems for, for the likes of you? It's actually really a lack of control has become apparent in this latest, you know, issue with the OTAs maybe contacting our customers directly and instead of maybe asking them to, uh, would they like to move their booking, they were coming in with cancellation uh, up front as being the, the only option. But I think that's beginning to level itself out a bit now. We're hoping so anyway, but uh, it would, it's just taught us all a lesson and not only myself but many others in the trade I'm sure even worldwide just to be careful and try and get as much direct business in as we can. In seeking to have a direct relationship with your customers is this another hint of a changing tourism industry instead of you looking to sell rooms for a night or multiple nights you're looking to sell holiday experiences? Yes, absolutely. I think there's going to be a huge big change in the way that the whole industry operates. I think that it's it's going to be just different, definitely experience-based. We hope on a quieter, more realistic pace, definitely a very more focused quality experience we hope to push. And we hope to push, take your time, sky's a big place. You've got to see it. You've got to do it justice. Don't come onto the island for a day and race around mad and go off in the evening. We will be pushing that strongly through Sky Connect as well. You mentioned Sky Connect. Um, How important is the role of the Destination Management Organisation in taking the industry forward once we come out of lockdown? It's hugely important. Sky Connect was set up 
to provide a vehicle to give information to people working within the industry on the island. And I think it'd be hugely important to embrace Sky Connect and everything it does to keep in touch with Visit Scotland and all the other bodies that UK Hospitality, Scottish Tourism Alliance, who are fighting every day our corner to make sure our businesses survive. But I would be alerting everybody on the island to make connection with Sky Connect because they are at the forefront of finding out all the information on a daily basis. They dissect it and they can send it out in bullet points to thousands of email addresses once a week. I'm very, very happy to be part of Sky Connect, I must admit. Are you confident that you will have any sort of a season this year? Still hopeful. <laughs> we were hoping maybe to catch August, but it doesn't. Today, it doesn't look as likely as it did yesterday, but we just hang on in there. All we have to do is to go and obey the government guidelines, listen to the scientific evidence, don't rush things. Health and life is more important than any business could ever be. You have written as part of a broad number of Highland businesses to Nicola Sturgeon, urging a a, a reopening, a safe reopening. But what was the purpose of that? Was it to do with concerns over things happening at a different pace in in England compared to Scotland and the effect that that might have on you? Not so much England compared to Scotland as Scotland-wide. It would be good if we opened up at the one time our, our businesses across Scotland, if we were recruiting staff, if that were the case. I mean, we've got 43 on furlough at the moment. But if we were recruiting more key staff, we would be conscious to get out there to try and recruit at a time when everybody else in Scotland was actually recruiting. But it looked as if maybe we could have been open in August, but I don't, I'm not really sure. We just have to wait and see. And in terms of taking the community with you as an industry, how important is it that the community are happy that we start to see visitors again? Well, I think that we all have to work collectively together. Everybody in Sky is involved in some way with tourism. And I think we've got to work collectively together with the community trusts and the community councils and all the key community people, making sure that we're all in agreement and going forward in tandem what is best for our island. Uh, Because I know that in the past couple of years, there were hotspots in Sky that were really, really busy, really uncomfortable places to live in. And, you know, all these things, they have to be addressed but even I was thinking yesterday, how could people walk up, you know, with the old man a store when still maintain two metre social distancing? I don't quite understand that yet, but I'm sure we will get guidelines and we will be able to discuss collectively going forward via Sky Connect and the communities how this can be taken forward. And within your own business, how much time and effort are you putting into planning your operation for when you can eventually open? I probably was going to say 24-7, but I chop it back to about 15 hours a day, probably, all the time, researching, just on webinars, Zooms, everything, just trying to find out what would be the best practice, what I can do within our own business what changes we're going to make, what changes we might have to make, what changes we can't make, 
that to be going forward, I would see ourselves almost coming out the other end with the back end of our businesses like scientific labs, because that's the way it's going to have to be. There are no, there is no room for error here, both on the staff's account and that of the visitor. We have to be sure that everything is tight for when we open so that there is no chance of transfer of any infection. I also do think that, you know, the island of the good of Sky Connect could put together, maybe arrange some training programs, because I think there'll be a lot of training required for a lot of staff on the island before we can actually open our doors to the public. We started off saying that you've survived so many things. Uh, are you equally confident that you're going to come through this challenge and uh, still have a smile on your face? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident that we will come through this. As I say, we haven't managed to maybe secure a pivotal grant yet, but I'm confident that we will survive this and the business will come out and I'm pretty certain a new type of format. I think we will all be in this industry reviewing how we do things, going for best practice and everything. And we have the confidence that we know at the end of the day that people will always come to Sky. And Gracie Gunn, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And that's all for this edition of the Skytime podcast. If you have a subject you'd like me to explore or a guest you'd like to hear, please email simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk. You can also email me if you'd like to sponsor or advertise on the podcast. Until next time, stay safe, stay home, and stay in touch with family, friends, and neighbours. Aikiva. Aikiva.